I want you to open your Bible to two places this morning, Isaiah 61 and John chapter 8. Isaiah 61 and John chapter 8. Isaiah 61 was the first sermon that Jesus ever preached when they gave him the book when he came from his temptation and he opened it up to this portion of scripture in Isaiah. And it says this in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I am glad he did that. Because whether church members know that or not, he did that. He said he came to loose us from our bondages, to loose us in a way that we are liberated or free. In John chapter 8, if you look over there, in verse 31, Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then... Are you my disciples indeed, or really, or truly? And if you're my disciples, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall liberate you or make you free. Now they answered him, said, well, we're Abraham. See, we've never been in bondage to any man. How do you say we shall be made free? Jesus said, Verily I say to you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. So the obstacle to freedom, obviously, is sin. That's why people are not free, even though they're church members and baptized and all of that. They're still not free because of sin. Now, we'll get to that in a moment, obviously. Verse 35, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son, therefore, shall make you free... You shall be free indeed, or again, really. You shall really be free if the Son makes you free. Now, I want to talk this morning and for the next few weeks on living liberated. You see, it's one thing for you to read in the Bible that you were loosed from bondages and the captives were set free and the doors of the prison were open. It's easy enough to read that, memorize that, write a song about it, and sing it. But it's entirely something else to live it. And so the devil doesn't mind you talking about it, singing about it, as long as he can keep you from actually realizing that as an experience in your life. Because far too many people, charismatic or non-charismatic, far too many people live bound. Now, I keep talking about this for the last couple of years because it's a compelling thing to deal with to me. It's like this must be dealt with. We have to deal with this. We have to let go of everything that is keeping us from being what the book says we should be. We must be set free. Now, we've already told we've been set free. But it's obvious by choices that people make, the way people live, by the attitude that so many people seem to have, that freedom has not yet reached the heart because it's not evident in the life. God wants us to live free, liberated. Now, in John chapter 8 again, verse 31, 
he deals with you personally, says if. Now that means it's up to you. It's a choice you have to make. Nobody can make this choice for you. He says, if you choose to continue in my word, in the direction that I am pointing you, the things I'm saying to you, if you're willing to stay with that, you, by doing that, will be my disciples. Learners, pupils, followers. So if you want to be a disciple, it's not just a name you attach to yourself because that's the name of our church or that is a Christian theme. If you really want to be a disciple, he said, you have to continue in his word. In verse 32, he says, then you shall know the truth. Now, know can either mean knowing or the process of knowing, gaining information. That's why we're here this morning. It's a learning experience. We're trying to learn more about how to live and how to walk and not be entertained. If you continue in my word, he said, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now, a lot of people say, well, what is truth? Some say what was true back in the 50s when you obviously grew up isn't necessarily true today. And my answer to that is truth never changes. Times and cultures and seasons may change, but truth never changes because the one single truth that exists and shall forever exist is the word of God. It's an unalterable word. It's an un changeable word. Heaven and earth, the Bible says, shall pass away. That's the end. But he said, but the word of God shall abide forever. It goes nowhere. It stays as it has been said. In heaven, you'll find that the word of God will be there also. You'll see him. But he says, you must continue in this word if you want to be his disciples. And he said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But just because we proclaim truth or we believe that we're proclaiming truth, that's up to you, figure it out, you determine that yourself. But if what you're hearing is true, then it should have the effect of setting us free. Or we are like those in 2 Timothy 3, 7, we're ever learning, but we're never able to come to the knowledge. We never get it. We keep hearing it, but we never get it. I said once, not too terribly long ago, somebody asked about somebody, and I said, well, they're one of those people that have been around this for years, most of their life, but they've never got it. You think, how can that be? Because they're bound. B-O-U-N-D, if you're taking notes, bound. Christianity is based on what I have heard and hoping that all of this will work for me and I want all of that good stuff, but you're not willing to order your life like that or continue in it. You're not willing to live like this true and give up stuff that's preventing that in your life. So really, you're ever learning. You're accessing knowledge. There's no problem with that. But your life is remaining basically as it always was. You just added Christian flavor to it. But you don't have the testimony that we should have. We're not living that abundant, jubilant, joyful life that is promised to us. Because somehow or another, we're not free. We're not free. But Jesus said, here's the way it works. This is the truth right here. This is the word of God. You decide whether you want to hear it or not. 
You decide if you want to play games and go to parties and have a big time and be in church because you're supposed to, or you can realize, especially in this hour, that this is the only thing that'll stand. The only thing in the world that God has obligated himself to do is his word. You think of that. He watches over his word to perform it. Everything you need is in that word. Every solution to every problem is in the word. Now, if we set that aside because we're busy with the world, then we'll learn about it, but we'll never experience it. We'll go down with the rest of them. When they all go by the wayside, drift away, you'll be with them. Because this word is your life. Remember that? This word is life. We live by it. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word of God. So then why is it that so many people aren't free? Well, again, back in John chapter 8, in verse 34, whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. Does your Bible say that? Something close to that? Now listen to it again. Whoever commits sin serves sin. Now, whom you serve is who is master over you. If you choose to sin, because sin has a certain appeal, some areas of sin really appeals to human nature. If you're not willing to put that on a cross, then you will serve that in spite of what church you go to and what you've learned. Sin. A simple act of saying to God, no, not that, not right now, I'm not, no. And turning away from sin for the sake of keeping something else. It's that easy. And if you serve sin, you cannot serve God. Now, these are difficult passages in the Bible about that, but turn to Romans 6, if you will. Romans 6. You know, Paul wrote, he said, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Remember that? In Colossians 1, he said, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his son. That's Colossians 1.13. Now, let me ask you a question while you're headed over there to Romans 6. If he has delivered us from the power of darkness, then darkness has no legal right to me unless I give it to darkness. So I cannot say, well, the devil can't touch me. I've been born again. Well, then why we have all these verses in the scripture about taking heed and the roaring lion verses and all of those warnings about departing from the faith. If we can't depart from the faith that the devil can't get us, why write such? Christians can't live a loose life. The moment you step out of the devil's kingdom... <clears throat> into God's kingdom, a kingdom you know so little about, but you can learn so much about. Well, the devil's relentless pursuit of your soul. Relentless pursuit of your soul. He owned you for so many years. He motivated you and controlled you and kept you in despair. And now that you've been loose from him and you're into God, he says, right. Because when the unclean spirit goes out of somebody, he comes back. And he keeps coming back and never discouraged. No matter how many times the devil is resisted, he keeps coming back. He is always after you to rob you of your freedom and your joy and your peace. As we said not long ago, to steal, to kill, and destroy. 
And the only thing the devil can use, the only thing that he can ever use to gain any access to your life in any part of your life is sin. That's all he can do. It has to be sin. And the more you resist sin and the more you loose yourself from sin, the more free you are. But remember, sin is a choice. He that knows to do good and will not do it, to that person, it is sin. Isaiah said that sin is what cuts you off from God. Isaiah 59, 2, he said, your sins and your iniquities have separated you from God that he will not hear. Now, you can play like he hears, and you can act like he hears, and you can still plead with God, and you can still sing the songs, you feel good, your health is good, you're doing well in the world, but you have no relationship with God because your relationship is with sin. Maybe it's a besetting sin, some little something that you just enjoy. Maybe it's porno. Maybe it's other things. Maybe it's eating and drinking or watching stuff you shouldn't watch. Or maybe it's some kind of a party spirit. You just don't see the danger in it. But you know in your heart because your conscience bears witness to the folks that are doing this, the way they're acting and what they're talking about, the way they talk, the way they're dressed, everything about this is wrong. Your heart smote you. Your heart will tell you you're wrong. Well, I don't need anybody to tell me. Your heart already tells you. Don't do that. Don't go there. And when you do it anyway, it's like he that knows to do good and does it not. To him it is sin. Now, Romans chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, your body is nothing more than a house. In your body is your senses. Touch, taste, smell, hear, see, and all that. Your body finds pleasure in things. It has feelings. People say when they do drugs, they feel this feeling, this thing. The body likes that. It wants more of that. You're encouraged to do that. You like to, with your eyes, you like to put your eyes in places. You see, your body is just a thing. How do you say this? Your body is just a house. What rules the body is something on the inside, sometimes called the inner man, sometimes called the soul, something on the inside of you that is dictating what you do. Your body doesn't have a mind at all. It just obeys instructions. It looks where you tell it to look. It touches where you tell it to touch. It drinks what you tell it to drink. It hangs out where you tell it to hang out. It runs around where you tell it to run around. It cheats, it does, it signs and writes and notes and your mouth gossips. See, your body is mastered by something that is under the power of darkness. And therefore, your life is marked with darkness. Sometimes you dress your body in a way that is repugnant to God. You want to show as much as you can legally. Because that's something on the inside wants you like that. Even though God is going to judge that. So sin is not just my body out here, but sin is something on the inside that masters. My body is a slave to whatever controls it. If I'm not born again, I have no light in my heart. There's nothing down here to guide me. I'm ruled by my mind. 
I'm ruled by my passions and urges. I'm ruled by feelings and desires. I just very seldom ever draw a line in my life and restrain myself because I like the way I feel. Ooh. Because of the effects and the power of sin in a person's life. Everybody who lives like that, I've been there. Everybody is bound. And we are the servants of the devil. It's Ephesians 2. We were by nature the children of disobedience, weren't we? There was a dark power that ruled us. We said we were translated out of a dark kingdom into the kingdom of his son. But sin is that thing that brings us into slavehood to something else. And the something else has to do with things in the sensual realm, the sense realm, has things to do with the world. We see it, we feel it, we touch it, we taste it, we smell it, we hear it, and it all appeals. And God is an obstacle to the enjoyment of all of that to a lot of people. Oh, Christianity, you know, you can't, you know. But sin, he said, as sin shall not reign in your body. Look at verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. Now, it does to a lot of people, doesn't it? You can't say sin doesn't dominate a lot of people because it does. I mean, open your eyes. But it's not supposed to. Sin doesn't have the right to dominate you unless you give it the right. How do you give place to sin? Ephesians 4.27, don't give place to the devil. How did Eve give place to the devil? The devil deceived Eve with his subtleness. He beguiled her mind. He got her to thinking about it. Being like God. Whoo, wouldn't that be something for you? God doesn't want competition. No, he knows that if you eat that, you'll be like him. And that inspired her to take a step of death. Because all sin issues forth in death. Now look at verse 16. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself as servants to obey, his servants you are whom you obey. Now notice this. Whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. In that same verse, notice it says his servants you are whom you obey. His, and then he says sin. Is sin a he? Is sin a somebody? Sin is not just a something, a little innocent mistake. Sin is something that masters a person by deception, misleading, or deceit, whatever it can do. That's what sin is. And he said, you are a servant to what you serve, whether God, which results in a right standing with the Lord, having the approval of God on your life, or... Sin with all the clever excuses the devil gives you as you sin. Well, you know, after all, nobody can perfect, nobody can, nobody, nobody, nobody. All these excuses. So you cannot restrain yourself from what you really are attracted to doing. I mean, let's face it, there's a lot of insecure young ladies in the world who really do want the attraction of boys. Not to their personality, not to the goodness of their heart, but to the lust of their body. That's why they dress and act the way they act and make the kind of noises and 
stuff that they make, it's attention. Notice me, look at me. My parents never gave me attention. Make an excuse you want to, but that's just the way it works. It's sin. And I don't think people who enjoy that will ever give it up. They don't see the power behind it yet. And they don't know that just down the road, it leads to death. Not just death, physical death way down the road, but it just leads to the death of all that's good and right and wholesome and pure. And you get unclean and you're dirty and you're nasty. You didn't know that at the time, but the devil's a master at corruption. He does because it's sin. S-I-N. Let me show you something about sin. James chapter 1, way back there in the back, James describes very, very clear. One of these verses a man ought to understand, get a hold of. Verse 13, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, God will prove you for your good. He'll never tempt you to do evil. But every man is tempted. You all hear? Verse 14, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's what I've been saying. Sin appeals to something in you that you don't want to let go of. That's why you keep doing it, keep making excuses for it, and keep repenting because of it, and keep hurting people around you. Because your thing has become like a little puppy dog. Oh, I just can't let go of this. Like the man told me years ago, he couldn't give up his pot because he couldn't give up his rock music. The two go together. And the lyrics of the rock music are self-explanatory. And nasty, vulgar, putrid, just ornery. But the smoke and the effect of the smoke on your thinking makes all of that trash appeal to you. And he said he couldn't give it up, and he didn't. I remember out in another state years and years ago, another man said something almost the same. He said, well, my biggest weakness in Christianity is pot. I just can't let go of it. And I'm thinking, when you realize what's offered you in eternity and what is offered you temporarily for right now in this life, which eventually will ruin some part of your life, you can't give this up for that because you're controlled by your feelings. You mean to tell me that that thing is ruler in your life and not even for God or your health or your future, you can't give it up? Wow, that's a big devil in your life. A big devil. A demon. It lives in there, sitting on a throne. Little overweight demon sitting in there on his little throne. Flipping his little switch and smoke another one. Huh? Smoke another. Remember how good? Yeah, 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 yeah. I never did this. I've seen people imitate it, but I never did it. My generation was the last one that didn't do this stuff. I was teaching school when the Vietnam War was going on, and that's when it started, but I wasn't a part of that generation. So I don't know what I missed. 
but I don't think I missed much from talking to people that did and grew out of it. Sin is that thing in your life that makes a fool of you. It weakens you to the place where all you can do is make excuses or ignore the warnings. You just do your own thing. Sin does that. Now, he said when sin has conceived, that means a seed is planted. Does not the Bible say that the devil, having put in the heart of Judas, is carried Simon's son to betray him? John 13, it does say that. It was a thought. A thought. Just an idea. A thought. Never been there before. But a thought. Something you could do and maybe get rich over it or make some money over it. Huh. I've never done that. Just a thought. A picture of how the devil goes about like a roaring lion looking for that person who just can't give up little things so the devil can get just a, a little bit more of your life. And eventually he'll affect your marriage. He'll affect your money. He'll affect your time. He'll make you waste things in your life until you get so far behind. You don't even know if you could ever catch up because the devil's a schemer. Never quits, never stops, never ever leaves you alone except maybe for a season. And he said when sin has conceived, every man is tempted when he's drawn away. And when lust has conceived, verse 15, it brings forth what? Every man is tempted when he's drawn away. Time out. Drawn away from what? Y'all got to answer questions like this when you study. Drawn away from what? What are we drawn away from? You can't be drawn away from somewhere you aren't. You can't be drawn away from where you haven't been. So it even assumes that you are somewhere and you know something. And the devil comes at you right there. He said, you don't believe that. You don't believe that. And so he starts his work, his maneuvers and his temptations and his little enticements to draw you away from it, give you all the reasons why it's not that big a deal. Come on. And he says, once you begin to play with that in your mind like Judas did, once you begin to entertain sin, which means a seed has been planted, when that thing conceives... And it's about to give birth to sin. Verse 15, when lust hath conceived, lust is what you really want, the devil wants you to have. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Is it possible to be walking dead? Dead men walking? Well, you have to believe that because that's what you were when God saved you. We were all dead in our trespasses and what? Sins. Our life was marked. Mine was. I'm sure yours was too. My life was marked by doing things my own way. I didn't know much about God, but you don't have to know the truth to sin. The temptation doesn't have to be true. So, well, when the devil came against Jesus, he misquoted the Bible. and that one, it, He can misquote everything he wants to. All he wants is your will to agree with him and go the way he wants. Just take a bite of the fruit. 
Put your mouth up on it. Open it. And let those succulent juices out of the most, oh, what a fine fruit that is. And it tastes so good. Woo-hoo, yeah. Until it gets in your body and it begins its corrupting work. Next thing you know, you have no more convictions. You're not burdened anymore by your sins. You quit going to church. You start hanging out. Maybe father or child or have one. And then you get bitter. And that's all the procedure. When sin is finished. Did your Bible say finished? Sin starts its work. And when it's finished, it starts here. And it just keeps going until at the end, you're dead or done. And you're not free. I don't care what church you go to. I don't care who you are, what your name is, who your parents are. Unless Jesus sets you free, you ain't never going to be free. You're going to be dead your whole life. Now, back to this where we started. When you were liberated, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. But isn't it true that having the legal knowledge, the judicial knowledge, you're free. In Colossians 1, 14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Are we redeemed? Well, then if we are redeemed from the power of darkness, why do we have to contend with it? See, a lot of Christian people take a lot of satisfaction, and you should. I have been redeemed. We say, I've been redeemed, by, the, and you have. You've been translated out of a dead kingdom into one that's full of life. You have been. Not will be. You are. I think Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says the same thing. We have redemption and forgiveness through his blood. We've been liberated by the Lord at the cross. Jesus liberated us. He spoiled principalities and powers. Hebrews 2 says he triumphed and spoiled the devil and took away from him these keys of death. Jesus did all that. Well, if he did all of that, why do we still have to fight? Because we're told to fight the good fight of faith. We're told to take heed that no man deceive you. How can I be deceived? I'm redeemed. How can I be deceived? I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Roaring lion walks about seeking whom he can do. He can't devour me. I've been redeemed. The Bible said you better resist him. Why do I have to resist him? I've been redeemed. What's this message about? All right, you've been liberated, brother, sister, but you're going to have to stay liberated. Your time down here in this world as an ambassador of Jesus Christ of the kingdom of God as a representative of what God is doing. I am what God is doing. It's got to be like that. That testimony has to be a liberated life. I am controlled by nothing. Sin, Romans 6.14, shall have no dominion over me. That is a choice I make. If sin could have dominion over me, there would be no reason for Paul to write, it should not, if it can't. But if it can, then it's a warning. We have to keep our eyes open. We have to be wary. We have to realize there is a dark power out there that's trying to corrupt you, your family, your sons, and your daughters. And trying to rob you financially to keep you poor and mealy-mouthed. 
whining and crying like a baby the rest of your life. He wants you like that because that's not Christianity. But it's an appeal to something on the inside that just wants to fuss or backbite or gossip or be bitter or cop an attitude. Something inside likes to do that. And if you don't crucify that, it rules you and sin masters your life. It should not be because greater is he that is in us. There's something in here living and alive now. My mind, which has been corrupted by, in my life, 28 years of sin, it still wants to rule. But when I was born again, there's another life in me. I am to yield to this new man on the inside and resist the old ways and crucify the flesh with its affections and its lust. Therefore, they won't conceive, they won't ruin me, they won't destroy me. I want to live free from all of that. I don't want to be bound anymore. I want to be free. I want to be liberated and free. If we can't be taken over by the devil, then why would Paul say in 2 Corinthians 11 that some of these people have received a different spirit? They listen to somebody deceive them about another Jesus. The one they preach today is another Jesus. He doesn't heal. He doesn't liberate. He doesn't set free. He just could. He is able, but he probably won't. And people are so snared by such words that they just remain where they were, bound to the system. As a part of this series on living liberated, let me say, number one, in living liberated, you must deal with the battleground in your life. The battleground in your life is your mind. You have to deal with it. There is a war that takes place in the mind because the mind is where the will is, the volition, your chooser, the part of me that makes choices, my will. It's where my thinking is. You see, if with my will I choose to reject the Lord, can you do that? Is it possible to grieve the Holy Spirit? Something is so appealing, I just don't want to give it up. So I can choose to resist the Lord and yield to my feelings. And sin still rules. It shouldn't. It may not for long, but there's a war going on. When Jesus came into my life, everything didn't go, ah, and then flee. The devil said, oh, I don't care what kind of religious experience he's had. I know where his weaknesses are. And here he comes. And the battleground is in your mind. Listen at these words, which you know well. Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh, I think it says in his heart. So he is, or so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart. Now, the Hebrew word I think for heart here is a word for soul, which again is where your will is. God is after your will, and the devil is after your will, because whatever you will is what you do. And if the choices you make, which are the willing choices you make, if the choices you make are wrong, you sin. 
If the choices you make are the ones that God gives you, then you do right or righteousness. So it's all about choices. But what choice you make is going to be which one you will to choose. Again, the the devil knows your weaknesses. So does God. And God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation provide and so forth. So here comes sin. Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, remember the sin lies at the door. When you're not doing well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must rule it. You. You must rule sin. And the devil, you must put him under your feet. So as a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. How many times have you heard people say, well, they go to church. They're good Christian people. They go to church. Maybe we ought to preach on good and Christian people sometimes. Only because we want to make sure you understand that not every religious cliche about Christianity bears out in their life. It's like saying, well, they love the Lord. I've heard that one all my life. Well, they love the Lord. I don't know that they do or not. They won't do a lot of things the Lord wants. This business about your heart and about your thinking and about your will is so important for all Christians to understand. I have a will. My whole destiny will be determined by my choices. Now, I don't decide someday just to choose God. But one day God affected me and caused me to choose him. Because the Bible said, I didn't choose him. He chose me. But the way I'm made, when he chose me, he inspired me to not only yield to him, but repent of my sins and ask for forgiveness. All of that came from God. It's called grace. But he made me willing. But I had to make that choice. And now that I'm a Christian, does he still talk to me? Does not God still talk to us? Does he not bring us together a couple times a week to talk to us? Doesn't he still convict us like he did in the beginning? Doesn't he continue convicting us about our lives? Doesn't he keep pointing out things that make you mad? I mean, that convicts you? You know, the preacher doesn't like me. Well, say whatever you want to. But it's God who is at work doing his work also. He might speak to Thomas here about something in his life and Wesley something else. They might think, well, it's because we're down here on the front row. You can sit on the back row and get convicted. Doesn't matter where you sit. God has something to say that if Receive will continue your liberation from glory to glory to glory through the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It doesn't just come. You have to get there. But you get there because of the way the Lord leads you. For God is at work in you both to will and that's the work of God. You can't do that. God does that. You just participate. We're still unprofitable servants no matter how far we come, how much we learn, how great we get. We're still unprofitable servants. It is God who does all the work that issues in rewards. God does that. Remember this verse? 
Therefore, keep your heart with all diligence. Because out of your heart flow what? Out of your heart flow the issues of life. Your heart. Thy word have I hid where? In my heart. Why would you hide the word in your heart? Keep it fresh in your mind. Keep your mind on the word. Why would you do that? So you won't sin. What? Yeah, so you won't sin. The psalmist said that back in the Old Testament. Thy word have I hid in my heart so that I won't sin against you. There's only one way that's right, that's God's way. And the way that's wrong is the devil's way. When you do it God's way, you don't sin. When you do it the devil's way, you do sin. But you've got to have the word hidden in your heart. It's like continue in the word. I don't know how many of you do that. I don't know how many Christians anywhere. I don't know how many Christians really do treasure the word and hide it in their heart and determine that they're going to be determined by this word. I don't know. My job is to tell you that. I can't make anybody do anything. I can't make anybody go to heaven. Can't take anybody to heaven. Can't save a soul. I just happen to be called to say what I'm saying, and now you know, and you got to deal with it. Like that man said to me a long time ago in this town, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes on Judgment Day. And I said, why is that, Kenny? He said, you've got to give an account for all those things that you said, like James 3 says. And I said, well, that is true. And you have to give an account for everything you heard. <laughs> I don't know if I saw him again after that. Look at the things that affect your mind. Things that we have to wrestle with today. Or still wrestling with. Take the educational system that we grew up in. The courses we had that trained our mind to think this way because everybody around us thought the same way. Nobody was in opposition to evolution when I was growing up. Who cares? The educational system told us that philosophy was a great way to figure out things. That's where truth was true for one generation, was not necessarily true for another generation. We became liberal in our thinking because the educational system is. We were trained by this system to think in certain ways. If you want to get ahead in this world, you got to borrow. And if you borrow, you got to have a good credit rating. And if you want a good credit rating, you got to pay your bills on time. Now, they didn't teach us that, but they teach it today. Back in our day, it's hard to get a loan for anything. People just didn't go into debt much in those days. But that was the kind of thinking we had then. It affected my thinking. There were certain kinds of values that came out of education that we had to change. All these years in school, my mind was forming all of these ideas and opinions. And then take later on, another thing that affects is the media. Movies, TV, magazines, and all of these things begin to appeal to us. Today, movies inspire all kinds of sensual feelings. Young folks, you know, you get in some of these way overrated romantic scenes. It's not love anymore. Love is a thing of the past. It's all about lust. Nobody really cares what happens to you. I just want to use your body. I want to have fun with your body, and I don't give a hang what happens. If you have, I don't care. I'm looking for another one. I'm done with you. And they read these stories, and they get all these kind of, ooh, I'd like to be loved. No, you wouldn't. 
And you get to watching this kind of stuff portrayed before you. You paid five bucks to watch it, and there they are using the F word and the all kinds of other words, and you get used to that. You're losing your childhood. Twelve-year-olds watch this trash because their fathers and mothers watch it, and they watch it when they're gone. They're losing their childhood. They're trying to emulate adults by acting like, like that. There was a time when I was young, a man knew how to kiss his wife. Today, they just bite each other's faces off. There's something wrong with the way that's done. I'm just saying that we have been formed. A whole lot of what we like and do has been formed by that. You go to rock concert. You watch reprobates sing songs that really... I cannot imagine a girl who listens to the lyrics. I heard somebody talking about me in a Christian program about what some of these lyrics are to some of these songs and how they degrade women. Oh, they're so degrading. They call them all kinds of names, but that's the spirit behind it. And the spirit that's behind it is a deceiving spirit. It's an enticing spirit. It appeals to fun. It appeals to this and that. and just want to get a part of that. And look at how they're dancing today in places and, and all the vulgar stuff. And people are watching that and kids are practicing and trying that stuff. Listen, in America, there is a crisis. There is a generation today that has been more corrupted, I think, than any generation in history. I guess close to half of our country is under 30. And look at the people, again, that burned down the campuses during the Vietnam era. I remember that. I couldn't believe that. Kent State, they shot six of them and killed them for protesting. Bang, 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 bang. And then the protest about that, and it caved in to such rude behavior. They started burning down campuses and living together. Nobody did that. I never knew anybody that did that. It just became a free-for-all morally. And the mind is grasping this, and your children get it. And again, the more you bring stuff in and watch it, they're going to watch it too. That's how they figure what's right and what's wrong. If you do it, it must be right. Don't tell me I shouldn't if you do it. This is being formed in the mind by so many people because of what's going on around them. And kids talk about having sex, and it's just a recreational thing today. Let's get together, have a sex party. You know, I grew up in a pool hall, and I thought the crowd I was with, there was nothing new under the sun. And I blush today. I think, what? That's some of the things I hear. Because it's in the mind. It's the thinking. Somebody could say, well, you just grew up at another time. I'm glad I did. There was no tolerance for stuff like that then. And look what it's doing. You can't sit still with Jesus Christ for five minutes. It just wears you out to have to listen to morality and goodness and rightness because your body has been cheapened, your mind is corrupted with all this trash in your mind. Your master is a big devil because he rules you. Take the religious system. What's the religious system done to us? It tells us that God doesn't heal today. He could. He certainly has. But he probably doesn't. 
You don't have to live by the Sermon on the Mount. That's for another age. And, you know, and, and the Bible is good, and there's a lot of good things in the Bible, but it's not the only thing that God has ever said. I mean, it's not the only book in the world. Next thing you know, you're sitting there as an impressionable young person or maybe an empty-headed older person. Nothing was in there in the first place. And you listen to all this stuff, and you start thinking about it, and you think, well, maybe so. Must not be much to Christianity because all these people that say they're Christians, you know, they don't act any different than I do. They're as nasty and vulgar as I am. They laugh at the same jokes I tell as I laugh at the jokes they tell. And half the time, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, we're, we're not supposed to be here today. The world's supposed to end yesterday at 6 o'clock. Well, I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying that that's just the way the world sees Christianity. We're just sort of hokey. About that, you know, they're having all these parties, these anti-rapture parties. You know, when the real thing comes, there won't even be enough to believe it that the news won't even print it. The only reason that people make the news is because that's the one more way the world gets to laugh at us dumb Christians with our old-fashioned, outmoded morals. We don't know how to have fun. Got a call the other day. Inviting our youth group to a, a big city-wide meeting. You know what the entertainment is? Two rap groups, an illusionist. An illusionist is a magician, a rabbit. <laughs> yeah, I want all the young people that I have to give an account for to go down and listen to somebody that can't sing a lick. All they can do is talk fast. Who can sing today? Where's Andy Williams? Bring him back. <laughs> he could sing. You're living in a day in which the mind has been so determined by things around it and so little affected by God that people come to church today, as I've said many times in the past, seeking comfort and happiness from church, not truth. Not truth. You know, we came to church this morning to feel good. Man, you're killing us all. I'm going to call 911. I'm going to tell them there's a man up here trying to kill us. Do you know why people think the word is too hard? you know why people tend to draw back and flinch? Because of the effect the world has on you. Anytime you think the word is hard... It's because the world has made you think that God wants too much of you. A living sacrifice, my body with all the things I like to use it for, the fun I have with it. You want me to give that to God? Oh. It just can't do it because sin is a master of people's lives. And these things are all in the man's mind. These are images. Let me tell you something about your mind. With your mind, you don't think in words. If I said a dog chased a cat, you do not say D-O-G, chased a C-A-T. Now, a long time ago, you learned what a dog was, and you learned what a cat was, and you learned what chased means. An intelligent person is one who can assimilate facts and get the picture or see what you're saying. Words are like images. I mean, words, when you understand them, they have pictures. If you don't know what I'm talking about, 
you don't get anything out of it. If I stood here and talked to you in Spanish, spoke the absolute pure word of God to you in Spanish, you'd go home empty. You know why? Because you don't know what I'm talking about. If I went to another country, I did this once in Australia. I was in Australia once. I said, how many of you have ever eaten a nightcrawler? And I could see them going. See, I know what eating means. It means you bite and swallow and chew and swallow, you know. Nightcrawler, a night, dark, crawling around. Who would eat somebody that crawls around at night? <laughs> well, this is when we're of no understanding. We don't get it. But when you begin to explain with words, a nightcrawler is a king-sized fishing worm on steroids, a big steroidal <laughs> fishing worm. Then they go, ugh. But see, the reaction is, ah, I now know what you're talking about. You get convicted in this room. We all get convicted about spiritual matters. And you can't escape the fact that you know what the preacher's saying. You know what God is saying to your heart. And you see it. You see yourself standing there resisting because that's what you did yesterday. That's what you did the other night where you went, who you were with. That's what you did. You knew better than that, but you did it anyway, and you can't escape that the picture you get is you here and God is there. And you can't make it right. God has said, this is the way you live, and you said, I don't want to live that way, so you're there and he's here. And your conscience bothers you. Remember that time in John chapter 8? They took up stones to stone that woman, and Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. What did they do with their rocks? Look for giants. No, they threw their rocks down. Their conscience told them that they were sinners themselves. That's why it's hard for you to sing and praise the Lord because your mind tells you, look what you did yesterday and all those nasty things you said and the way you acted and what your conversation or your text messages. Now, how are you going to stand here now and say, Great is, how are you going to praise the Lord having just done that? Do you see how sin masters people and shuts them up and destroys their lives? It does. It just does. We learn in these images to think sick. I did. Whenever I grew up, all I knew was doctors. Dr. Marshall or Dr. Budorf, the only two doctors in town. They would come to your house. They had a little bag. They never smiled. Never, ever smiled. I told Dr. Marshall one time, he was listening to me, and I said, my daddy doesn't like you. <laughs> my mom said, well, he doesn't. I said, my daddy doesn't like you, and he wouldn't say a word back to me. <coughs> Doc Marshall. He had those big pills, a big brown bottle, and had another bottle over here. You got one or the other. Or a shot where you don't like to get shots. But that was in my mind. That's all I knew. When I would be sick, you just go to the doctor. When you didn't feel bad, you took an aspirin or a pill. That's just the way we're trained. We think like that. That's our thinking. For somebody to come along at some point in my life, and they did, to come along and say, it doesn't have to be like that. I mean, the only picture I have of me is sick. You go to the doctor. And if you don't go to the doctor, you get this picture. <laughs> it's a fearful thing, and it causes fear. 
In the last days, men are so afraid they're going to die, but what's going on? Their hearts will give out. That Jesus said so. It's coming. It's coming. They don't know what the solutions of God are. They don't know how to get out of this. They just know that it's coming. They can't get away from it because their mind has projected these images of hopelessness. There's nothing you can do. And the mind has made you see yourself not like God says you are. What a picture it would be to see yourself seated in heavenly places with Christ. The devil under your feet. To see yourself, little old insignificant you, walking around with the devil afraid of you. Not because you're tough, but because of the tough one who's in you. Having at your disposal his word, you shall speak the word. Speak, 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 speak. And God said, I will honor, I will honor, I will honor. To have your mind begin to think like that. To have your mind begin to look at things differently than you've ever looked at them before. Because see, when God begins to get in control, and you start this turning of your thinking from death to life, Proverbs 4. Let me read something for you. Proverbs 4. In verse 20, this is good. It's worth a trip. My son or my daughter, how's that? Attend to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Make that choice. Just listen. Let them not, these words, let them not depart from thine eyes Keep them in the midst of thy heart where the issues of life are. Verse 22 says, For to those who find these words, they become life. And they become health to your flesh. Because you see, the image that God projects in his word is different than the one that the world taught me to see. The world taught me that medicine is the way God has designed for his people to be well. But God says his word is medicine to my flesh. What am I going to do with that? I got a decision to make. What am I going to do about that? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Because my mind is a battlefield and I'm either losing the victory in life or I'm winning the victory in life according to how I'm thinking. Because the Bible says that. I need to secure my mind with some kind of protection. Is there anything I can secure my mind with? I'm setting you up, okay? How about a helmet? Is there such a thing in the scripture as a helmet? What's a helmet cover? You put it on your feet so you don't stub your toes. What's a helmet for? In the helmet to protect your head, Ephesians 6, 18, and taken to you the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. What is the helmet of salvation? Well, we know what a helmet is. Again, get back to these images. I know what a helmet is. It's some sort of a designed hat or covering over a head, which is designed to protect it, to keep it from getting injured. All right. Now, the helmet of salvation. So what kind of a hat does salvation have? Well, it's not referring to a literal helmet like you're thinking, but as a figure of speech, it is a helmet 
that is filled with the salvation truths that covers your mind. Your mind comes under the influence of the salvation realities. The word saved, sozo, salvation, deliverance, wholeness, healing, preservation. It covers all of that. And the redemption of your body when Jesus comes. You're receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we're working out our salvation now. And one of the things that we do in this war of life and maintaining my freedom is I have to cover and fill my mind with salvation truths. I am liberated. I am healed. I'm not trying to be healed. I am healed. Jesus did not say he could heal us. He might heal us. He said he redeemed us, which means he healed us. At the cross, I am set free. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, and he that is with me shall go before me. He shall protect me. How about supply my needs? Now, what would happen in my lifetime if upon being born again, I begin to flood my mind and my heart with these truths? How would I think? How would my thinking be if I begin to think well, think whole? I'm not talking about metaphysical stuff or mental whatever. I'm talking about spiritual sense here. If I begin to put into my mind and kick out the old lies and deceptions that I begin to arm my mind with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, then what will happen to me? I will start living differently. I don't have to be sick. I may be tested. But sickness is not a way of life for me, and it's not for you either. It doesn't belong to us. Jesus didn't save you to be sick. But just because you said that doesn't mean you'll be well. Or just because the Bible says you were healed at the cross doesn't mean you're going to be well. You've got to believe it. You've got to believe all of that. If you don't believe all of that, it's not going to work. Salvation realities. Faith. Let me show you something on the board up here. A little something that would be good for us. Can you all see that over in England? All right. W plus S equals R. Now, W here stands for word. Just the word. And the spirit. Now, when you have the word without the spirit, what do you have? Nothing. When you have just the word without what the spirit reveals, you have a dead letter. What happens if you have the spirit without the word? You have wildfire. Woo! I feel good. And that's all it does. But when you take the word, when God gives you his word, and the spirit of God begins to illumine you, I'm going to use revelation. It probably isn't the best theological word, but it's okay. When God, by his spirit, begins to make clear his word, he reveals it to you. He makes you see it. You've never seen it before, but you see it now. When you take this revelation plus a W here, which is your will, it equals faith. That's the way it works. 
If you don't understand the word like the Spirit gives, you don't have a revelation of the word. If you try to live with something besides what he shows you, God doesn't honor that, and you get very frustrated. But when he puts it together and he shows it to you and it becomes clear, it only remains for you to do one thing. You take that revelation he's shown you, and you be willing to act on it and do what it says, and God will call that faith. Faith is a willingness to act like the word of God is true. Now, your mind, this battlefield, your mind fights this day and night. The devil knows you become a deadly enemy once faith comes into your life. Once faith becomes the power in your life. That is, once you learn how to rest in the word, like Jesus said, it is written, I'm counting on the word of God to be true. I'm counting on Jesus to come because the word says he is. I'm counting on the fact that God is because the word says he is. That's all I got. But I'm so convinced of it that I'm willing to live and act like it's true. Now, my mind says, how can it be true? It's never been. You ever been here? Walking out of healing, and you feel worse three days later after you prayed, and your mind says, well, how can this be? You don't feel any better. In fact, you're worse. What kind of a testimony are you going to have walking around like that? You need to go get something for that so nobody will know you're going through this, and then they won't be asking you all these questions that you can't answer. No, part of this is all going through your trials. This faith is going to be put to the test. There are a few people left in this world who walk by faith. There's a few. They're not afraid of the comments. They're not afraid about what people are saying. They're not willing to give up and quit because they have had something made clear to them by the Lord that they're willing to do. Now, in closing, Romans 12. Keep this in mind, Romans 12. You know this one well. Verse 1 says, you present your body, the living sacrifice. Verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? You should know that by heart. We quote that a lot. Remember this. The word conformed, it seems to me it comes from a word that is similar, if not the same root for our English word, schematic. I can't pronounce the word. I could if I didn't mind you all laughing, but... It's a word from which looks to me it comes from the word schematic. Now, what is a schematic? Well, if a man was going to build a large building or a house, he's going to build a nice big structure, he rolls out the drawings, and these are the schematics. And he knows where to put what where and what goes where and how many feet, how many inches, what kind of whatever, because he looks at the schematic. And this is what you plan your life after. This is how you do it. This is your way. The word conform here means made to resemble. Now, I've been talking about the world and how it controls and affects way too many people. But this is the word to liberated Christians, to those who have been set free. This word is not for ain'ts, it's for saints. And it says, be not conformed to this world, which means you can be. Be not conformed to this world, but... Be transformed. This is a word for metamorphosis. Changed into another form. You know how this will happen? Let me say this in close. This will happen when God begins to show you 
the truth. And then the Spirit of God leans on you real good and hard to make you willing. And when you're willing to do what God has shown you, you become a faithful soul. The war that goes on on the inside of you is against the forces of darkness that have controlled you. And the only way you're going to stay liberated is to fight the good fight of faith. To fight it. To fight like that. To know what you believe and be unwilling to give it up. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray that you would bless to the hearers of your word this morning, the truth of it, that you would keep us ever before your word in a way that we understand it and that we get it and that we would have the courage to make all the adjustments in our life that we have to make to live according to it. Dear God, these people before whom I stand, they're not mine, they're yours. They have all said that they are yours. They sing as yours sing. They come as your people should come. But only you can see the heart. Only you know the lives, the private and secret part of their lives as well as the open parts. In saving us, O oh God, deliver us from all deceptions, every misleading spirit in our lives. Grant us that we may walk in the light as Jesus is the light. I ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.